You are listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. In this episode, we chat about how pet owners and veterinary oncologists differ in their perceptions of chemotherapy-related adverse events in cancer-bearing dogs with Abby Leonardi and Michael Childress. Welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today, we have Abby and Michael joining us. Abby and Michael, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. All right, let's dive right in. Michael, chemotherapy is widely used to treat pets with cancer, and your study aims to assess differences in the ways that pet owners and veterinary oncologists perceive chemotherapy-related adverse events. Can you give our listeners a bit of background on this study? Sure. Um, This study was really born out of discussions that our group at Purdue would have around our morning rounds table or afternoon rounds table about um, how pet owners would often get very distressed about side effects, adverse events associated with chemotherapy that our group would not necessarily think was such a big deal. Uh, But it came to be clear to us that um, the way that pet owners and the way that veterinary oncologists or veterinary oncology residents perceive the side effects of chemotherapy could be could be very, very different, and that those differences in perceptions could have important implications for the ways um, we communicate with one another. So this, this survey that we we designed was really um, hoping to elicit, you know, what are those important differences in the way that pet owners and veterinary oncologists perceive the side effects of chemotherapy and and how they approach the the cost benefit um, uh, calculus or the the risk assessment um, portion of of, of uh, moving through chemotherapy. I was fortunate to have um, a few board certified veterinary oncologists during my small animal rotating internship, and I remember when they were talking to clients about chemotherapy being a potential treatment option. A lot of the clients would say, "Oh, I don't want my pet to be bald." And they had explained to them, you know, like it's a little different than in people. Um, so I think this is a really important, good study to have in JAPMA. And then Abby, what were some of the important findings from this study? I think some important takeaways from this study was it did seem like veterinary oncologists seem to accept a higher grade adverse events than pet owners um, in this hypothetical setting of cure or extension of life. It was really interesting, though, that we did find that pet owners seem to accept higher grade adverse events than veterinarians in the setting where only improved quality of life would be expected. So that was really interesting for us. Um, The other thing that was interesting is it seemed like pet owners would accept higher risk of moderate to serious adverse events than veterinarians, which was completely surprising. Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have picked up on that either. You'd think they would always be, oh, I don't want my animal to hurt. That's tough. It just tells you how much they love them and want them around for longer and any glimmer of hope. Uh, Abby, Michael talked a little bit a a minute ago about how this the study idea was born out of just sitting around talking about this. But what sparked your research interest in chemotherapy? Yeah, you know, in general, chemotherapy is such a widely used therapy modality for veterinary oncology, but also human oncology. It's so, so common to use. And so it's very good to be very comfortable talking about, gosh, what are the adverse events we might expect with that therapy? 
what risks should the owner be expecting with pursuing something like that. Um, and it is quite variable with how owners may perceive that adverse event, how they may tolerate it, and how they then might continue therapy or go, oh, gosh, that was too much. I don't think I can keep doing it. Um, so with that experience, it it was interesting to me to see, gosh, you know, we don't really have a lot of evidence or research already, kind of looking at how that may differ between um, one owner to another. Um, but also, we don't have a lot of evidence quite yet to show how veterinarians may differ in that risk tolerance and that acceptance of adverse events. So definitely an area that needs more work um, and definitely something that was interesting to kind of see, you know, how different people varied there. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Michael, and then you, again, you talked a little bit about sitting around talking about this idea, but having the idea is one thing. It's another thing to be inspired to design the survey, get the survey, get up, get the survey out there, analyze it, and then write the manuscript. Uh, what inspired you and what advice can you give to listeners who are in the same in the same boat where they have an idea, but how do they really carry through to fruition and really to help our, our colleagues? Uh, one thing that um, I've always been kind of interested in is the, the concept of uh, science communication and medical communication of medical information to the public um, and how that information can be received and how that information intersects with an individual's personal values or motivations. Um, for those of us that are steeped in scientific education, I think that our motivations are often very much based upon factual evidence. And so we tend to make decisions based upon factual evidence uh, in a lot of situations, at least if, if our emotions aren't running high, perhaps. Uh, but that may not be true of, of all of the animal owners that we encounter um, out, out in practice. And they make decisions perhaps based upon different values or different motivations um, than we do. Um, and so our, our job as clinicians is really to take our factual information and learn about the uh, animal owners' motivations and values and trying to find a an, an intersection there, um, trying to find uh, the best approach um, for a, a an animal, um, how to treat that animal in light of the, the animal owners' uh, motivations, in light of their values, in, in light of um, how they perceive um, the information that we're relaying to them. Yeah, it doesn't matter really what we can do if we can't communicate it well. So Thank you for this really valuable contribution to teaching about chemotherapy to our veterinarians. Abby, you talked a little bit earlier when you're talking about some of the most significant findings, and I think you mentioned it again, but maybe just reiterate for our audience, uh, what was really surprising to you in this manuscript? Yeah, in, in general, we, we were hypothesizing that veterinarians would accept higher grade adverse events than pet owners, and it seemed to be in the hypothetical scenario of improved quality of life, pet owners seem to actually accept higher grade adverse events than veterinarians. Um, even more interesting, I think, is that um, pet owners seem to have increased risk tolerance and accept increased risk of moderate to serious adverse events um, than veterinarians. And, and that was surprising and shows that, you know, potentially pet owners' risk tolerance might be higher than we give them credit for, um, and maybe something that, you know, we can look further into. Yeah, you're leading me into my next question. What, yeah. what do you think that is? What drives that? The desperation to keep their animal that they don't, you know, maybe the animal's in chemo in the hospital and they don't really see 
the the worst of the worst. What what do you personally? I know you, that's what you just said. It's something you need to look further into. But what do you personally think? And, and Michael, maybe you next. What do you think is driving that? Yeah, I think you know some of it may stem from you know not having that scientific background. So they may not look at it as objectively as we do, and and maybe um, you know they're willing to accept more risk and be more tolerant of it potentially because they don't have all of the information in their brain about, gosh, what am I expecting with this treatment? You know, what level of risk would be appropriate given what type of benefit I might glean from that therapy? So maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect there with, um, you know, full knowledge about what potentially they're going to, what they're going to derive from that treatment. Um, But potentially, you know, there might be flavors of, you know, um, caregiver burden, um, potential stressors, you know, they might look to their dog for, or cat, um, kind of as an emotional support um, animal. And and maybe in that regard, them not being the patient themselves, they may be willing to accept more risk with the potential that then they may have their pet for longer and get to spend more time with them. So definitely something that would be interesting to keep looking into. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Michael, what, what, what is your take on it? Um, well, first I would say that I I don't know that our survey was really designed to elicit, um, the owner's motivations for pursuing chemotherapy in their, their individual animal. The, the survey was designed, um, to elicit, um, elicit responses from the owners based upon hypothetical scenarios. I think I should just emphasize that point, but what might motivate an owner, um, to, um, take a, a greater chance to assume a greater risk of, of side effects of chemotherapy than, say, a veterinary oncologist would. I, I agree with what Abby was saying. I, I think that it may um, stem from perhaps a uh, a difference in experience. Um, and as veterinary oncologists, veterinary oncology residents, in, in Abby's case, when she was when, um, uh, helping us uh, conduct this study, you know, we have an experiential base that we can draw upon. We we know what to expect in terms of a therapy. We know what benefit it is likely to confer upon a patient. And we know generally what the risk of side effects um, of a given therapy will be. So we can make that calculus to some degree, I think, without thinking about it too much, um, almost subconsciously. As owners don't have that experiential base and they, they do not necessarily make those calculations um, as quickly as we do. And so I think that really emphasizes the importance of communicating that information very clearly to pet owners before they make a decision to embark on a course of chemotherapy with their pet. Uh, What is the expected benefit uh, to be conferred uh, from a therapy? And then what is the expected cost in terms of adverse events that might be um, caused by the therapy? Uh, I think it's important for owners to understand that. Um, I think when they understand that, um, they they will make informed decisions um, that hopefully hopefully align with with reality, the reality of what can be achieved and what's likely to happen. Well, I know that wasn't what your survey was in, designed to do, so thank you for indulging me and and going off the going outside of the lines for a couple of minutes. And it sounds no like another. Uh, studies in in the way, and we'll be happy to take it to JAVMA because these are really important conversations to have. And Michael, is that a framed HAVR cover I see behind you? <laughs> yeah, it is. That's that's from uh, I think that's almost ten years ago. I think it was t- 2014. But yeah, that our our article made the cover 
uh, of, of AJVR, an image from one of our articles. So yes, good eye. Very nice. Oh, that is you. not intentional that it was placed there, by the way. That was not I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe it's, you know, it's good background. So yeah, that's awesome though. <laughs> now we have a static cover now because it's online only open access. Um, so, but it's cool to look back at some of the older ones too. And I like the really cool covers. They're amazing. So thanks for indulging me. <laughs> And then to our listeners just joining us, we're chatting with Abby and Michael about how perceptions of chemotherapy-related adverse events in cancer-varying patients differ between oncologists and pet owners. Michael, how did your advanced training prepare you to write this manuscript? Well, um, you know, I, I was um, board certified in oncology in 2010, um, so I've been I've been doing this for a while. I, you know, I, I get used to talking to pet owners every day. Um, you know, this is, this is kind of my bread and butter. You know, even as an academician, I still spend a, a significant amount of my time talking to pet owners, um, about chemotherapy, about what the expectations are of chemotherapy, about what chemotherapy can do and can't do, um, to help their pets. Um, so I, you know, I had a, a pretty good clinical background on the, um, the, um, uh, the conceptual um, um, portion of this study, um, we we got some assistance from some collaborators here at Purdue. Another oncologist, uh, Christopher Christopher Volkerson, was a a co-author on this manuscript, and then a social scientist here at Purdue, Cleve Shields, um, was very helpful at lending some perspective on survey design um, and how to elicit the type of information we really wanted to on this survey. Um, so it, it was definitely a group effort, but it was very much informed by. The experiences of people like myself and Abby and Chris, um, you know, working day to day as oncologists and just understanding the the typical concerns that pet owners bring to the clinic um, when they when they have a pet with cancer um, and and they are considering pursuing treatment for that pet. We're currently preparing a survey for our authors and our readers, and there's a lot of work that goes into creating a survey. I had no idea until we started this process, so it's pretty incredible. I agree. Yeah, it's it's it was a lot more work than I thought it would be. It's just a very special skill. Yes, no. yes, it is. Special I'm glad there's people that are good at it. You know? Yeah, me too. <laughs> and then the next set of questions is very important for our listeners. Abby, what is one piece of information the veterinarian should know before discussing chemotherapy with a client? I think in general, it's really important to kind of have a good idea of what the family member or the owner's goals might be for that treatment. What are they hopefully trying to get out of whatever options there are? Like, what is their baseline idea of, of what they're hoping to get? Um, knowing that baseline information can be helpful to kind of go over the treatment options for that particular cancer type, what are we potentially going to get from each of those treatment options? And do those treatment options align with the owner's goals and what they then expect? Um, depending on their goals, you then can kind of see, you know, what kind of adverse event profile might we expect from that? Does that still align with their expectations? And can we really make sure that we keep in mind those expectations so that we're all on the same page throughout treatment, I think is very important and over communication in general is very good to make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, it's definitely true in a variety of settings. Yeah. And then on the other side of the relationship, Michael, what is one piece of information the client should know about chemotherapy? 
Sarah, I, you'll have to forgive me. I can't boil it down to one. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you two. Um, I, I think there's a couple of things that, that clients should understand. One is that they, they need to understand what are the possible benefits that chemotherapy can confer to their pet. And when you boil it down, there's really only three ways that chemotherapy or any cancer therapy can, can benefit a patient. Um, it, it can cure the cancer. It can cure the patient's cancer. It can extend the patient's life in the absence of cure. Um, or it can improve the patient's quality of life, um, often in the absence of cure or uh, extension of life. Um, although some of these, these are not necessarily all mutually exclusive, but those are really the only ways that, that the therapies that we offer can benefit a patient. Um, and so clients need to come armed with that understanding and they should be prepared to elicit from the veterinarian or veterinary oncologist with whom they speak um, what is the likelihood of, of any of these outcomes? Which of these outcomes is achievable with therapy? And, and um, uh, to what extent is it achievable? But the second thing, I did say I'd have two. The second thing that, that they should understand is that all chemotherapy, all therapies for cancer have side effects. Um, the side effects uh, of chemotherapy that we see in pet animals uh, with cancer generally are not as severe as the side effects that are seen in, in human cancer patients, but they are of the same nature. Um, and they can sometimes be severe. Um, and understanding how severe side effects uh, might be in an individual patient is something that a veterinary oncologist or veterinarian has to assess, usually by a, a very detailed exam of the patient and a, a thorough diagnostic evaluation of the patient, uh, because that information is going to modify that patient's risk of, of side effects. But in general, um, side effects are, are, are going to be less severe in pet animals than are seen in, in, um, in human cancer patients. Yeah, really good points. I, I really admire you too, and how you can um, retain your resilience after having these discussions day in and day out with clients who are scared. They're, they're, cancer is a very frightening word. Uh, so I really admire both of you. And that takes in a tremendous amount of grit and resilience. And Michael, where do you think your resilience came from? Um, I'm an optimist. Uh, Abby is one of my residents, may not believe that, um, although she's probably <laughs> seen both the optimistic and, and pessimistic sides of me. But I don't think you can be an oncologist without being an optimist. Um, you learn to take pride and to take sustenance from small victories. Um, you know, realizing one of those three treatment outcomes, either a cure of a patient or an extension of a patient's life or an improvement in a patient's quality of life. Um, you know, you, you view all of those as victories, um, and you, you draw resilience and fortitude from that. Um, even, even if they're small victories, um, they can be very meaningful to pet owners and, and to patients, I think. Uh, and, and so I think that I draw a lot of resilience from, you know, words of thanks, words of gratitude um, I, I receive from pet owners and then um, seeing clinical improvements in patients, you know, patients who may have come to me very ill at one point and several weeks later after a successful course of chemotherapy, you know, maybe feeling quite a bit better. You know, I, I draw a lot of um, sustenance from that because there, there are certainly a number of failures to counterbalance the, those, those victories. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly not cancer, but I feel the same way as an editor. If I reject somebody's manuscript and yet we've given them really good feedback on how it can be improved or why it was rejected, uh, they're always grateful. And, and just a thank you for your advice. Thank you for your guidance goes a long way, even when you're delivering not great news. Sure. Yep. I agree. 
And Abby, other than working with the the Dr. Optimist, <laughs> uh, where do you think your resilience came from? Um, I feel like definitely optimism goes a long way. Um, you know, that's that's definitely something that is a, a driver for always finding the hope in any situation. Um, but I feel like a lot of also what what we do, you know, knowing that you're able to improve quality of life or prolong life to allow the family more time with them is really, really something that I think helps drive me um, in this profession. You know, knowing that you got them that additional time, they were able to spend that time and hopefully with with a better quality of life than before um, still gives them something that, you know, without it, gosh, they may not have, you know, that that time. And, and that time is is so precious to have, you know, in these situations. So um, having that is is really important. And definitely there's there's some sad cases, but sometimes just, you know, knowing that you were able to give the family more information, give them everything they possibly, you know, needed to know in that situation sometimes provides closure um, and allows them then to go away from that situation, knowing more about what happened. And maybe that can also help with um, emotional closure, closure as well. So, you know, I think that's a big driver of what I do too, is just also, you know, how grateful some people can be, you know, um, sometimes they may not outwardly say it, um, but when they do, gosh, that goes a long way because then you know what you're doing is really making an impact. Yeah. Well, again, I admire both of you and thank you again for this really important contribution to JABMA and to our practitioners to help have those difficult conversations and to understand from the other side of the table what might be going on. As we wind down a little bit, we ask a little more lighthearted question. Uh, so, Michael, we'll start with you. What is the oldest or the most interesting item in your desk drawer? Um, my desk drawer is largely filled with a bunch of junk, um, but I do still keep um, the little. Um, the little notebook that I made when I was an intern, this was this was at Kansas State University College of Veterinary Medicine, 2004 to 2005. I kept a little, you know, cheat sheet notebook in, in my uh, lab coat pocket all the time and had all of my notes on, you know, important drug doses and important differentials for, you know, given problems and whatnot. Um, and I've never thrown it away. Um, you know, it's just, uh, an, an important keepsake and every now and again, I'll, I'll dig it out. I'll find it at the bottom of the drawer and I'll dig it out and I'll start flip through uh, start flipping through it. And, um, it just realize how far I've come. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's just important. I think to, um, sometimes take time to reflect on the path that got us to where we are. And that, that notebook is just a reminder of that. Yeah, I've come a long way. Most oncologists say they either have a tape measure or the little caliper that they were given from some company or some mentor or something. <laughs> I've got a few of those too. They're cluttering up the drawer nicely. It's just not the most interesting one. Right. <laughs> Abby, uh, for you, when you do a puzzle, do you start in the middle or do you do on the edges? And does this become a bone of contention if you're doing puzzles with other people? Do you let people do your puzzle with you or are you like, oh, this is my puzzle? Oh, yes. I'm definitely an edge person. Um, I like to do all the borders and then work my way in, have a nice little scaffolding um, to work from. Uh, this works well with my husband because he also really likes the edges. So we like team up, do all the edges and then work our way in. Um, but um, our families, uh, his family in particular loves puzzles. So frequently we'll do like group puzzles. So 
um, definitely something that I definitely can share. I don't have to do it by myself. My family will definitely be doing a few puzzles as we head into the holiday weekend here. And some of my family members, they just like randomly will start putting together pieces that they think look like they go together, which drives me crazy because I'm like, no, you have to be systematic about it. You know, it's like your physical yeah. exam, like these are their steps to take so they don't miss anything. <laughs> yeah. So different strokes for different folks. <laughs> Thank you so Absolutely. much, Abby and Michael. <laughs> we just really appreciate you being here today and for sharing your project too and your study with JAPMA. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This was fun. And to our listeners, you can read Abby and Michael's manuscript in print Javma or on our journal's website. I'm Sarah Wright with Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to.